This is the podcast for August 27, 2010. It's not safe for work. Recorded from deep inside the fiery heart of John Boehner's highly taxed tanning bed, it's The Professional Left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. Boy, I think Boehner needs a little more time on the tanning bed if it will improve his <laughs> Speaking ability. Shall we just go right after the oh, uh, minority leader? That of the was House the worst Lord. speech since oh, John McCain. I, I think yeah. John McCain. When John McCain spoke in front of the green screen that time, uh-huh. yes, it was like, and he yes. had a green background when when Colbert <laughs> was doing all the John McCain green screen, and all of a sudden <laughs> he's actually standing in front of a green background. God bless for you, real. Yes. And it was the worst speech I'd ever heard until Boehner and. Boehner can't give a speech. That's the other thing. It's just, wow. Well, th- I'd only heard him talk on, on Face the Nation you know, or Fox before in kind of little talking points. And when you hear him actually give an argument or try to be yeah. wonky, wow. It's, it's, <laughs> it was it's really, really bad. It was it's really, you realize, oh, my God, Boehner's an idiot. Yeah, he really, yeah, is, he really yeah. is just a friggin', you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, he looks like the guy who's been hanging off the bar stool too long near the window. Uh-huh, yeah. You know, he's yeah. kind of got that waterhead slur going, mm-hmm. and he kind of mm-hmm. just sloshes his words around. And this is what, you know, every fat-ass Chamber of Commerce douche looks like. Yeah. You know, I mean, if he, I was least, running the Republican Party, I'd say go ahead and have him replace Michael Steele. Oh, yeah. He's, He'd be great at that, you know. Yes. Party, he's, he's, don't give money to uh, bondage-themed nightclubs, and go <laughs> drinking with fundraising. You know, he's he, that's what he does anyway, well, I, I have drinking my, and my golfing. Little, so. My little post-up this morning is towards a more perfect burnt umbrage because <laughs> he is approaching an absolutely yeah. perfect burnt umber color, Yeah, and yeah. all he has is umbrage. Yeah, and yeah. I gotta think it's not, that's like the most meta dog whistle it of is. all. It's he's Burnt he's literally becoming the color of rage, man. Um, which is really all he has left. And and yeah. this yeah. thing about his speeches, I thought I think this was the one that he was preparing us all for. Right? No, this, this was is, supposed to be these. So, these are my solutions. These are our solutions. Yes. People kept asking him all over the mm-hmm. all during the summer. You know, all right. All you've done is say no to everything. So what's your grand economic plan right. for? Pulling us out of the ditch. We get ready to launch into Labor Day and the and the beginning of the serious season. You yeah. know, we get out of the silly season into the serious season. We're supposed to have mm-hmm. this policy speech, which yeah. which you know, if it's boring, fine. You know, it's yeah, a policy what speech, it's whatever. A policy speech, exactly. The wonks can take care of it. But this didn't have any substance to it, except fire your entire staff, yes. and then we'll get started. Really? Yeah. That's, That's what it. you've got. Well, you, you remember the, the, the great roadmap to the future that we're going to publish? That, <laughs> that you, you know, photoshopped with like a I, hanging skeleton yeah, on the front? Best suicide note ever. <laughs> best suicide note ever. <laughs> because it was, it was this promise of a, a great uh, detailed roadmap, an economic plan for you know rebuilding the nation. And here's mm-hmm. how we balance mm-hmm. the budgets. And mm-hmm. you open this thing up and it was like four pages long. Right, right. And this was it. It was not the Cliff's Notes version. Their entire plan was this this tract, this trifold pamphlet with four or five graphs on the inside that essentially said Democrats are bad yeah. and you yeah. shouldn't vote for them. And you look at this and you look kept looking for the substance. I was shaking, you know, looking for the for the C D that they'd included or some <laughs> other mentions. And you realize a jump drive shaped like an elephant, that'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. It might screw up my my player, but it still would it would show some degree of creativity. Yeah. But then you realize 
then you realize you sort of step back from the whole, you know, the whole carnival of it all and realize that they don't need substance. Yeah. They don't need Boehner to be a good speaker or speak at all Mm -hmm. because they don't, the the people they're appealing to are are not moved by, you know, facts or reason or causality or history or anything. They're moved by nothing but a constant barrage, a constant rat-a-tat barrage of lies and talking points. And as long as you dog whistle correctly, you can be a trained chimp and they'll, and they'll follow you anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's so disturbing and, and, and depressing and in a certain sense hilarious about the baners of the world is that they really can be that god awful stupid. And, yeah. and Michael Seal can really say the incredibly stupid things he says almost on a weekly basis, and it literally doesn't matter. Is this, Little has re- it always been like this? I mean, I'm trying to remember back to when I was a kid. I was, I was talking to you about point counterpoint. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And how the the sum total of debate on television was Shana Alexander and James J. Kirkpatrick on 60 Minutes, and that was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, totally civilized and fact based, and no one lied. You know, there there was real disagreement, and you know, Kirkpatrick was usually wrong, but well, yeah, uh, you know, it wasn't okay. I'm going to tell you that Barack Obama wasn't born in America. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, you know, maybe maybe he's a Muslim. I'm just going to take him as his word for whatever he says about his religion and kind of this, <laughs> yeah. this really crazy. I have to I have to believe that this is a f- result of the 24 hour news cycle and the rise of Fox and the death of the fairness doctrine, which, you know, you you've said yourself that you like getting rid of the fairness doctrine well i have i have no objection to getting rid of the fairness doctrine as long as there was fairness yeah you know as long as there was you know the 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 idea of a specific law to govern um um content always Mm -hmm. bothered me but the 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 principle of it that you have to represent if you're if you're discussing a major issue that's all the fairness doctrine ever said was really it didn't never counted minutes it never mm-hmm. it never you know controlled speech it just said if you're going to talk about let's say i don't know nuclear energy mm-hmm. you really have to have if you're going to you know whinge on about it for an hour you really have to have somebody else on and sort of more or less the same level of responsibility who can bring the the other side of the issue or another side of the issue to the table mm-hmm. that's all it said and the thing that that destroyed that was well first of all it was it was Ronald Reagan yeah. it was Tony Scalia mm-hmm. and it was Robert Bork those were the yeah, two yeah. federal judges who helped Ronald Reagan gut the fairness doctrine and 10 seconds later Rush Limbaugh appeared on the scene mm-hmm. it really was that much of a cause and effect but the, the thing that that makes the thing that replaced it was was market driven news Mm-hmm. You know, baby in a well. Be, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Car chases and baby in a well. Yeah. When we were when we were kids, the news was a loss leader. The news yeah. was something yeah. that never made money because it was intended to be for the public good. Right. The idea that television would have you know cut out certain portions of its time for the public well, good. And it was only half an hour a night too. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like it was twenty four seven. And that's the and other. It was part supplemented of it. by newspapers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By long form essays and yeah. articles in newspapers. Now, the, there always was that other end of the spectrum. You know, when I was uh, in high school, there was a thing called the White Power Hotline. 
that you can call up and listen to essentially raving racist idiots saying, wake up white people. And it was, you know, the message of the day or the message of the week or the message of the month for, you know, for all of you disgruntled white people out there who are being oppressed by the jackbooted thugs of, you know, fill in the minority group you want to hate this week. Mm. That they always existed. The Dixiecrats were always there. The, The disgruntled, racist, white, aggrieved southern losers were always there and they have metastasized they've gone everywhere but they were always there they walked out of the democratic national convention in 1948 which a lot of conservatives like to forget Mm -hmm. um when they they talk about democrats being the party of the Klan. um but but they've always been sort of the ring of power in politics the thing that you you really really you really want to win and if you want to win badly enough you will eventually go begging for the votes of fundamentalist lunatics and racist pigs, mm-hmm. and 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 that's what the Republican Party figured out is that you know yeah we really want to win and to win we have to get these people on board mm-hmm. and and as early as the 60s the, the very the very era we're talking about there were essays popping up in newspapers saying be careful what you're doing yeah. you're bringing on board really really you know evil people really ex- despicably evil people to win elections and well, and I'm I'm stealing this I'm stealing this from from a woman who was on countdown last night who said you know and the other problem is is that they're on the losing side of history because America is getting more and more diverse it's getting more sure. and more brown as time goes on it's getting more and more uh, accepting of gays and lesbians and mm-hmm. not or just not caring I mean you know get married go ahead that benign uh, attitude of whatever you want to do as long as you're not naked in my street is fine um, and and the racist element and and the bigoted element is on the losing side of history well as a counterpoint to that if I may mm-hmm. offer a, a, a I'm not saying this is the future I'm saying this is the future that we, we should be careful of mm-hmm. Um yeah, and, and in the 19th century, uh, one of the most civilized countries in the world was considered to be Germany. Yeah, yeah. Advanced, technologically advanced, great universities, great research, great mm-hmm, artists, mm-hmm, you know, Goethe, mm-hmm, you know, uh, history yeah. of Beethoven. And then the and, Depression and the and, World War One, and yeah. And exactly. The, then, then came the great economic dislocation mm-hmm, and the, mm-hmm. the stories of the Dolschloss, you know, the yes. enemy within, mm-hmm. the betrayal by the liberals and the government and the press. And if you transpose the language of the aggrieved good German that, w- yep. that was being fed by the Nazis, mm-hmm. you can take out the word Jew and put in the word liberal and it reads – and I've done this. It reads exactly the same. You're listening to the Professional Left Podcast, professionalleft.blogspot.com. You know, so you, this segues right into our email. I know we yes, had a lot of other notes to talk about today. But no, let's, let's go for it. right into an email we had from a li- one of our listeners that we wanted to – talk about so i'm just going to read we've edited this to protect identities for broadcast it's just terrific and we've checked with our with our correspondent to make sure this is okay yeah yeah i just had the best political discussion with a wingnut neighbor i think i've ever had (laughs) i was cleaning out the garage and he said it was 130 degrees outside and my neighbor walks out and hangs up his yellow don't tread on me teabagger flag a big one four by five like a fourth of july flag I love the guy, but he's nuts. I spoke to him across our common alley. Fred, what the hell are you hanging up there? Are you crazy? I just cleaned out my garage, and you'll make me throw up all over the nice cement. (laughs) So Fred and I, and I guess he's got kind of a reputation as the the crazy liberal in his neighborhood. So Fred and Uh I sat in the alley in a couple of lawn chairs and drank beer. 
Mm-hmm. One of our a beer summit, if you yeah, will. A beer summit. There you go. Uh-huh. One of our other neighbors just lost his house. I saw him a month ago, and he told me he'd spent the winter in his home without power, and now very sick with diabetes, was going back to his hometown to live with his parents. He is about 35, and he was doing very well as a computer tech for a major company. They laid him off. They froze his pension. Then they took his pension. He lost 38% of his 401k and then had to tap it. He still couldn't afford the mortgage or the electricity. Yes, I'm in the south, but it got cold here this winter. We had snow for the first time in a long while. I asked him why he hadn't said anything. What are you going to do, pay all my bills? I told him no, but at least I'd run an extension cord out the window, feed him dinner at night, and let him use the shower on a daily basis. They didn't cut his natural gas, so he cooked in in the fireplace, where he'd also heated up water to wash with. He can't afford the diabetes medication, so both his feet are now totally numb. I mean, this is just heartbreaking, you know? Yeah, it is. Um, it absolutely is. And it's and happening this is in America. A guy who did, this, this, and this is a guy who did everything right. Yeah. A conservative who did everything yeah. right, followed the yeah. rules, did all the things he was told, got a good job, had a retirement, and now he has nothing. Yep. I thought he was out of town on a business trip. Nope. He was humiliated and hiding in his own home. The repo people came today. They asked if I was the one who had been taking care of his yard. I told them yes, and I and they asked if I wanted to continue doing it for 50 bucks a month. I considered it, but I have another neighbor who has also lost his job, and he's been trying to make the mortgage by cutting all the lawns in the neighborhood, so I gave him their card. Back in the alley, Fred and I talked about his job. He works for the railroad. He's been on six months without a contract. He tells me his union is only there to give up wages and benefits, and he's watched new hires come on board without any benefits at all and at a third of the salary. Mind you, that, that is yeah. that is a conservative dream world. Yeah, that is, this is cheap labor conservatism. Absolutely. Cheap labor conservatism, you know, no benefits, treat them like slaves, yep. you know, toss them out the door. Yeah. This is what conservatism means, people. This yeah. is exactly what the intention of conservatism is. Yep. Pray continue. None of us are employees. We are all private contractors in a failing market. My job is no different. The workload triples each year, and the joy I once had for the job has all but vanished. I've become part of the slave trade. I'm 55, and if I quit or am fired, I will never be hired again. Mm-hmm. Would I, and this is the big, huge question. Would I ever want to be hired again? You know, I'll, I'll, I, I thought of Shirley Sherrod at that point. Like, uh-huh. you know, go to hell. <laughs> I well, don't want I, your I, job. You know? i got to be honest. I'm, I'm sort of in that same age bracket. You yeah. know, I'm within shouting distance of, of all the people in this story, and I – I look down the road and wonder if I will ever have a job again, yeah. if I'll ever have a full-time job again. And I have you know, oodles of qualifications, and I have lots of things going for me, but I know exactly how this guy feels. Yeah. Yeah. And millions and millions of, of my fellow Americans and your fellow Americans know exactly how this guy yeah. feels. Yeah. So, proceed. So after a couple beers, I asked Fred if he feared or hated blacks. No way. I work with them all day. So are you afraid of gays? Do you not want them to be able to get married? Frankly, I don't care. But your sign says, don't tread on me. Who are you afraid is going to tread on you? Me? Fred, you're 6'4". I'm 5'6". Watch out, Fred. I'm coming to tread on you. (laughs) Is it Mexicans? Is it Muslims? Iranians? Hawaiians? Are you afraid of secret terrorists? Is it terror babies? Don't be afraid, Fred. (laughs) They have very small, soft feet. (laughs) Yeah. And then Fred looks at him and says... We're afraid of losing everything. I've got two kids. And that's when your heart just 
gives out. Yeah. Because there's not, you know, there's nothing you can say to that person in this situation. No, because he's he's on the brink. Well, and because he he knows Sarah Palin's an idiot. Well, that's the other part. Yeah, he knows Sarah Palin. This Uh is the next part. He knows Sarah Palin's an idiot. He knows it's about the money. He knows it's about multinational corporations buying our political system, terrorizing our workplace and poisoning our lives. He knows it's about campaign finance reform. And I said to him. Our emailer said to his neighbor, Fred, you asshole, we agree on everything, but you're voting for the wrong damn people. Mm -hmm. And then he says, as dark as it seems, there's hope. And when you and I read this email and and you responded to me and said, you don't have hope, (laughs) I wondered if you wanted to respond first as far as whether you think there's any hope for our political system and also for Fred converting to the light side in terms of politics. I think – I think – there is hope for Fred to come to his senses at some point and figure out that you know liberals are not his enemies; liberals mm-hmm. are his allies. Mm-hmm. But it's it's going to be a long and very brutal road mm-hmm. because you know the people who have gotten Fred so twisted and so broken and so brainwashed that he he literally knows he's voting against his own interest and mm-hmm. can't help himself mm-hmm. have a thirty year head start. Yeah, and they have a plan. You know, like like the uh, like Battlestar Galactica, they have a plan, mm-hmm. and they do. They have a long range plan of turning this country into a feudal corporate state, and they they have depended on people like Fred to go into the ballot box every election year and vote for people who will stab him in the back. Yeah, and. And now he knows, but he can't help himself. And I think part of the problem is is that the, the these days, the these days, what used to be the white power hotline mm-hmm. is now Fox News. Now, yeah, Glenn Beck. I was going to say. Yeah. And 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 what used to be point counterpoint is now Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and the entire political dialogue has been inverted to the point where it literally doesn't matter if you catch. A conservative like Glenn Beck or Andrew Breitbart or Chris Wallace lying Mm -hmm. or John Boehner lying. Catch them absolutely cold lying or Mitch McConnell lying because they'll just shrug their shoulders and move on to the next lie. Mm -hmm. And by the time, you know, I get, I get emails from conservative friends and colleagues and acquaintances all the time. In fact, you are much more in the world than I am. I don't get those emails. I, I get them all the time. And uh, frankly, and I, I debunk them all the time. I, it, it takes me two minutes to go out and look up the truth and, and get back to the people I, I correspond with. And and the point being that if I had a buck for every email I debunked, I would no longer need a job. I could retire on that that yeah. funding. But it but what it what it it became obvious, you know, some time ago that it simply didn't matter. That behind that email, there were three others. Behind that lie, there are three more. And it doesn't matter how many times you disprove and no matter how many times you, you convince Freds that, you know, the people you listen to are liars who lie, uh, who lie to you and have, have brought you to this point. They're not going to change their mind mm-hmm. because the horror of facing the fact that they have fucked up that badly, that they have made that big of a grievous mistake is, is on one side of the scale. On the other side of the scale is just this rat-a-tat-tat of constant lies, constant propaganda, hitting them over and over and over again from the TV, from the nice people on the TV. And in, in the time it takes to debunk one lie, five more come along. Yeah. Well, how and, do you keep up the energy? I mean, you were talking to me in our show prep about getting a comment from one of your readers about why do you keep going after David Brooks. How do you keep the energy level 
you know. And well, I, I drink. I, I drink heavily, blue gal. <laughs> I, no, I actually don't. I, I, I enjoy a nice a nice scotch every now and then. But but right now I'm, I'm drinking a, a, the last of my Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee, mm. which I dug out of the back of my freezer and it's it's fortifying me. Um, you know, try to live a balanced life. Try to, to read things that have nothing to do with politics, and mm, you know, yeah, walk around break. and go outside and take a break and shake this stuff loose. But but you gotta what what it comes down to is understanding. Uh, the 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 commenter that we're referring to, busted knuckles, wants to know why I grind on David Brooks so often. And the I, there are two answers to that question. The first is the New York Times is the paper of record for the United States. I don't like it. You might not like it. You know, nobody might like it, but. It's the paper that the Chinese read to get a sense of what's going on in America. So David Brooks has an audience of, let's say, a billion people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's speaking for all of us. Secondly, you know, there, he provides, you know, this is like a, uh, you know, this is like a chemical weapon. This is like a, a, a fertilizer bomb. It doesn't explode. It doesn't work unless you have fertilizer and you have jet fuel. You have rocket fuel to, to mm-hmm. add the two together. You, for the conservative hate machine to work. You need both a constant stream of liar, lying propagandists like Glenn Beck, who feed the pig people one bullshit lie after another after another. And then you need David Brooks. Because whenever they get caught, and this is absolutely universal, it's an, it's an absolutely universal truth, whenever I debunk, thoroughly debunk, a right-wing lie or a right-wing um, um, email, and I never get these things from the left. I never get crazy conspiracy theories from liberals. I never get crazy, you know, uh, explanations of of secret plots from from the left. I get objections to tax policy, mm-hmm. and I get, you know, I, I get objections to healthcare policy. But I never get, you know, secret Kenyan nonsense or right. or Muslims are taking over New York nonsense from the left. It simply doesn't occur. Well, the 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 point being that every time I or and I assume a lot of our, our listeners have the same experience. Every time you debunk a conservative lie, the answer is always the same. Well, both sides do it. Well, liberals do it yep. too. Well, liberals do it too. And that is simply not true. That is the greatest lie of all. The biggest lie of all. And, and the reason it exists, the reason David Brooks in every fucking column pounds this point home, and you can go read them. Literally nine out of ten columns, he always he always comes to the conclusion that liberals and conservatives are both equally, equally wrong, bad, equally yeah. bad. No matter what the subject is, he always winds up at that destination. And at some point, it stops being an accident and starts being purposeful. And the purpose is to give the douchebags out there who get caught lying every fucking day of their lives an out, an alibi. They don't have to be, they don't have to be careful with the facts because everybody knows the liberals do it too. They don't have to worry about lying. And Mitch McCall doesn't have to worry about lying because liberals do it too. And that's the problem with Fred. Mm-hmm. The threads yeah. of the world have a, have a firewall. You know, no matter how bad things get, they can always fall back on David Brooks' soft cushion and console themselves that well, they're no worse than those lefties are. Yeah, and that's yeah. the biggest and most evil lie of all. And that's why I grind on it. It, it might be useless. It might might, not, might might make no difference whatsoever in the long run. But it's what I can do as a member of the new media with Blue Gal <laughs> to, take, to take these sons of bitches down. Because without that without that alibi. Without that excuse, they all they are are liars. Yeah, just plain fucking liars, and there's no place for them to hide. So they know they need this this ablative shielding, this this fireproof you know firewall between them and accountability. But with it, there will never be any accountability for any of the lies they tell, and they'll just keep telling them. And f- people like Fred will continue to find themselves confused as to why they are where they are, 
even though they've done everything right. Mm-hmm. You're listening to the Professional Left podcast with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. Professionalleft.blogspot.com. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm. And when I hear you talking like that about Fred and the way you and I talked about Fred and read about him, I, you know, I hope it's clear to our readers that we feel nothing but compassion for him. Oh, you know, absolutely. And- I'd like to add one thing is, is that back in the depression, my, my mom tells the story of, of my grandmother living in a tar, essentially a tar paper shack in a depression era, mm-hmm. um, shantytown yeah. out west working on the dam, you know, got up one night and, and, um, you know, prepared a big old plate of the food that they had and walked in next door mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and got back to the table and, and, and her family asked, you know, what were they doing over there? And she said, I, they were praying for their next meal. Yeah. And this goes back a long, you know, the, the, the idea of compassion, looking out for your neighbors, and, tr- and and trying to find a way to help each other, is as old as America is. Yeah. And, and we we feel nothing but compassion and and a sense of tinged, I think, with tragedy, for people like Fred who have fallen so hard and don't understand why their world is broken. Right. Right. And so we want to help them understand what happened to them and help them join the fight to make their world a better place and more livable and more humane. And that's why we tell stories like this, and that's why we do what we do. Yeah, and to, that the motivation can never be fear. It has yeah. to be love. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between the left and the right. If you mm-hmm. are being motivated by fear, mm-hmm. you're, the likelihood that you're being led in the wrong direction is way higher mm-hmm. than if you're being led by love for country. And if you're if you're on the right, ask yourself this mm-hmm. question: mm-hmm. How come everyone I listen to wants me to be afraid all the time? Mm-hmm. That's because it suppresses your you know the reasoning centers of your brain. Exactly. It makes you exactly. easy to manipulate. Mm-hmm. And you know the people on the left want you to be pissed because your country's getting screwed, but nobody wants you to be terrified all the time. But how does that you dovetail? How does that you know <laughs> ratcheting up the fear all the time? Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think that's really dovetailing with. The whole no drama Obama of the of the current White House, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to <laughs> fight against someone who's not going to ratchet it up any further. Yes, you know when I when I think about how fighting I fighting against feel, a Vulcan is really hard. It's really they hard. They, they won't, won't get it. pissed and they won't freak out. And mm-hmm. if someone was questioning where I was born, I mean, they're talking yeah. about his mama. I know. <laughs> I know. We so have been day. making some really awful jokes about that, about, you know. So where exactly was Barack Obama's white mother's vagina in 1961? Because that's <laughs> where he was born. And okay? we found the answer. <laughs> and we his, know. His, his, there's, there's a TARDIS in there. <laughs> <laughs> there's a little TARDIS in there. Everybody take all, a drink. The Doctor Who, drink. That, is, that does count as a Doctor Who reference, everyone. Yes, Doctor Who counts as science fiction. <laughs> and it's time and relative dimensions in socialism. That's what TARDIS stands for. <laughs> that sounds, Say that again. Really Everybody, TARDIS stands for time and what? Time and relative dimensions in socialism. Oh. <laughs> so his mom can give birth, can be impregnated in America, but nonetheless give birth to the child halfway around the world and then go back in time later and put a birth announcement in the Hawaiian paper when it turns out that that timeline wasn't working out exactly perfectly. That's the most logical explanation. Yeah. For the birthers, you know, I hope Orly Tates is not listening to our podcast. I can see her, you know, <laughs> yeah. tongue out slightly. To <laughs> Must look up this TARDIS thing. <laughs> Seems like a brilliant notion to me. Yeah, when your entire 
conspiracy theory depends on bending the laws of time and space to make it make sense. Well, then, and, and seriously, there is no evidence that Barack Obama's mother left Hawaii in 1961. No. We have more you know, Sarah Palin's birth story has more questions and holes in it <laughs> than Barack Obama's white mother, in a, you know, by a lot. <laughs> well, except you, you, you omitted two really vital points, which is Sarah Palin's not black and she's not a Democrat. Yeah, well, Barack so, Obama's mother isn't black either. So yeah, but but she, well, she might as well been. She gave birth to one of those one of those colored folks. Well, you know, I think, she might and I really think that's one of the things that's really freaking out people about. Mm-hmm. Barack Obama is they just can't deal with intermarriage. You know that's mm-hmm. Nick Nixon. You know was for abortion if it was a black and a white. You know that was okay. Huh? So uh-huh. you know there's just there's just the racism just goes off the scale at that point. Well, and, it's uh, it's very deep rooted in our country, yeah. and I'm very glad we have our first. African-American president and all, you know, let's all and, stipulate and, all that. But what, what was it on chocolate soup that the guy said, just vote for the white half? You know, he told, <laughs> he told white Americans who were freaking out a black president, he said, just vote for the white half. You know, and, and let's let's be clear that, that you know, the, 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 the birther thing, the Muslim thing, and the Muslim thing dovetailing with what's going on in New York, the, yeah. the, the hilariously – um, overtly racist protests, yeah. you know, led by um, chief, you know, chief. bull goose loony bigot Pam Geller, yeah. Yeah. Um, are all about are this summer's town hall meetings? Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, this every, is the crazy every, season. Absolutely. Every August, conservatives need something to be terrified of and to scream about in the streets and run around ranting about. Mm-hmm. And this is what you know, this is what they were given this year. You know, yep. next year it will be something else. And in 2012, well, 2012 is. Just well, it's, isn't it going to be an interesting uh, Republican mm-hmm. National Convention? I'll, oh, be, I'll bet they're going to have a really cool Reagan tribute. Oh, I bet they will. <laughs> I bet they will. I bet Ronald Reagan, you know, 400 And I'll bet it's been stage managed by a homosexual, too. <laughs> people, people, <laughs> it's two weeks to the convention, people. Let's get our act together. Focus, people. Well, yeah. and, and going back to running against no drama Obama being really hard work because, you know, Mitch McConnell did the whole taking Obama at his word on the Christianity thing. But That's Hillary right. Clinton did the same thing, huh. you know, she with as did. far as I know, he's a Christian as far as I know. Huh? And one commenter said, as far as we know, Hillary Clinton isn't a lesbian. You know, <laughs> we got to take her at her word on that, right? So she does, she does not have sex with women. She does not, as far as I know. <laughs> sure. Sure. Why not? But Mitch McConnell, I mean, it's real. the only thing that if you're running against Obama and he's no drama and he is, as his vice president once famously said, Huh? Clean. <laughs> so clean and well spoken. <laughs> and what did what did Harry Reid said? None of the. What did he say? Negro dialect was that I it? Don't, I I I think that might be my imagination. Did that actually happen? None of that Negro patois. <laughs> you know? I don't I don't think he actually said that, but it came really close. It, it came, came really. Like, it was something like that. He doesn't have a dialect problem. He, yeah. And he speaks like a white guy. Uh, he speaks like a white guy. You know. <laughs> An educated yeah. white guy, you know, one of us. So, so let him in. So, so, so it'll be awesome. Nothing to worry about. Right. Well, that's the point, isn't it? That uh-huh. Bush forty one and Brent Snowcroft and Colin Powell and all of these kind of country club 
Security Committee mm-hmm. Republic, you know, cautious, cautious I, I, Republicans uh-huh. can vote for Obama and sleep at night, as yeah. opposed to voting for for Palin, you know, which yeah. is like totally out the window. Mm-hmm. And so, it, so if you're going to run against Obama, mm-hmm. knowing how stable he is. Yeah. The only way you can do that, whether you're Hillary Clinton or Mitch McConnell, is plant this seed and and try to do it in such an elegant way that you don't have to take responsibility for doing it. So you can say, well, as far as I know, or I take him at his word or whatever, and you're still planting the seed of doubt of, I can only go by what he says. As if his word is any good. Yeah, right. If, if you believe, you yeah. know. You know, I only have to go on. You know, I don't have all the information. If I'm wrong, you know, whatever. If you believe a Kenyan usurper, then then go right ahead. That's you know, that's your business. That's between you and your your scary Mm -hmm. desert god. But but you know, planting the mustard seed only works when you plant mustard seeds by the metric ton and use a fire hose and use a fire hose to plant them. And that's what the right has figured out. Is is they can just load up the bullshit cannon and fire it twenty four seven three sixty five. Yep. And they will they will be allowed to get away with it. Mm -hmm. I you know, I gotta say, you know, David Gregory for all of his horrible horribleness and his dancing with Karl Rove, for the last couple of weeks yeah. on Meet the Press has asked one conservative after another a really simple question. Yeah. How the hell are you going to pay for the deficit if you're going to if you're going to extend the Bush tax cuts, yeah. which you voted for with the with the expiration date, which you voted for? Yeah. This is the law as it is. You this is what is. you did. This yeah. is what you wrote as a law, and the reason you did that, as I, I forget who it was who brought this up, probably Lawrence O'Donnell pointed out, was the reason it only lasted 10 years is because after that point, according to Senate rules, you'd actually have to pay for this crap. Exactly, because of the deficit. There is a deficit yeah. trigger. Uh, trigger, deficit trigger in the in Senate there. rules that says you can't extend this out past the 10-year rule. Yeah, and if and you so did, he, then you got to find the money somehow. Yeah. And so David Gregory, to his credit, mm-hmm. let's give credit when, when it's due, rare as it is, let's give him credit for asking the, the, the right question of the right people. And he really kept persisting. He's with not Mitch giving McConnell. up. Yeah, yeah. And, and Mitch McConnell just sat there smiling his, you know, dead turtle smile, yupping away, and, and kept trying to change the goddamn subject. Yeah. And, and I saw a, a, a hint of a whisper of a reflection of a distant, better universe where that is the norm. Yeah. When, yeah. when a Republican comes on the air and just fucking lies, like Mitch McConnell does every day. Well, and John Mitch Bo- McConnell you know. and John Boehner voted for this bill with a 10-year expiration date, knowing full well it would probably be a Democratic president and that you'd be able to scream tax increase. Uh-huh. And so why not do it? And and now that he's – And they did it under reconciliation. Don't forget that. It only yes. took 51 votes and Cheney was the 51st, 51st. vote. And this was this was the second tax cut. Yeah. yeah. You know, people don't remember and, you know, I have the curse of remembering is that after the first tax cut, George W. Bush, you know, went behind the ears, actually said, now we have to do something for the middle class. Now let's look at something else. And it was Dick Cheney who took the little boy out for a walk behind the White House, you know, in the Rose Garden and yeah. beat his ass and yeah. said, no, maybe you don't understand who elected you. Yeah. And yeah. came back and suddenly we're going to have more tax cuts. Yeah. yeah. And another thing I'd like David Gregory to ask Mitch McConnell is, why didn't you pay for Medicare Part D? Why didn't you pay for the prescription drug program? Because you that was a huge sop to the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. And the insurance well, companies. And it was never paid for. It was that was a giveaway, a governmental welfare giveaway to those two industries, and you mm-hmm. never paid for it. 
That's as another well, reason as there's well, this huge deficit. As well as this big ass war that Plus you guys these wars. Were, you know, had a big how come you never on? paid for that? When you know, mm-hmm. when are you going to start paying for it? And the answer is, well, we're going to privatize Social Security and we're going to cut right. benefits. Right. And that's what the Democrats need to make this election about. And that's when I start to get hope. Well, <laughs> if we can make this <laughs> these elections about, okay, uh-huh. you know, you want to privatize Social Security, and then uh, Sharon Engel says, yes, I do. <laughs> And I want yes. the media to be my friend about God it. Bless, God bless you, Sharon Engel. <laughs> yeah. And all the many, many voices and in All of a head. sudden, you know, there's a collapse because the the f- most right-wing person I know at church gets Social Security. <laughs> they yeah. all do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, that's the point. I mean, the, the, uh, the, the thing about 2012 is even if the, the – the bull goose loony crazies aren't running, mm-hmm. which I think they will be. I'm yeah. sure Sarah Palin's going to be a candidate, um, you know, with Vice President Glenn Beck trailing along behind, oh, wow. for all I know. But they will certainly be kingmakers. Yeah, yeah. They will certainly be dictating terms, just like the the right was in 1984 when Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson. Well, isn't it uh, interesting though that 10 out of 13 of Sarah Palin's endorsements have failed. lost? Yeah, have lost. Yeah, and you know what? If these people were swayed by facts, that would be really interesting. But they don't care. You know, the the media narrative is that Sarah Palin is able to work. You know, wingnut miracles. Pull, yeah, you know, and I don't think it's going to stop. Exactly. Just no, because pull. she has a losing track record does not diminish her power in 2012 at all. Yeah, yeah the day that actual facts start to derail, you know. The media right. narrative right. is the day I will I will resume hoping that this this media of ours has a better future. Yep. But until then, it falls to people like you and me, Blue Gal, <laughs> and the alternate media and our burgeoning media empire yeah. to make the cases that the people that you see on television will not make. And you know what? It's not it's not like we have any special magic access to people in power. In fact, we don't. I don't know anybody who's you know, who yeah. has. Who works in the White House? If I did, believe me, that's where I'd be working. I'd be making that call this afternoon. <laughs> but what what we try to do, I think, and what bloggers like us try to do, and podcasters like, like us try to do, is simply do what Comedy Central does. Yeah. You know what John Stewart does. We just take what's already available in the media, in the public domain, and turn it forty degrees and say, "But now look at it from this angle." Don't you see how absurd this is? Mm-hmm. Which anybody could do. This is not, this is laying around, you know, everywhere. The, the the evidence of the right's perfidy is everywhere to be found. Mm-hmm. And anybody who wants to come along and pick it up and look at it, it's free to do so. People just choose not to do so. And yeah. I think the fact that people choose not to do so is a very interesting story. Because the reasons behind why people like Fred choose to continue believing the lies they believe is the great American story of this century. Yeah, yeah. We'd like to thank our listeners who are part of this adventure in new journalism. We're so grateful to you. We're grateful to you for your emails. You can email us at proleftpodcast at gmail.com. That goes to both of us, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And we have a new website. We've had it up for a few weeks, and it's doing very well. We're glad that you're coming over there and visiting. We have a free player at that website. And we also have an opportunity there for you to contribute financially, which we really need your financial support to continue to do this work. Uh, our website is professionalleft.blogspot.com. Pinch, pinch. I'm still pinching myself that we got that URL. <laughs> yes, we did. Thank you, Robert Gibbs. Thank you, Robert Gibbs. And uh, we're just so glad that you're a part of this. We've, uh, 
we've heard from you, and I've made lots of new friends um, mm-hmm. based on this podcast adventure and the emails and support that we've gotten. We're so grateful to you. How are the Internet Kitties doing? The Internet Kitties are fine. They are enjoying the, the last uh, couple of weeks of summer. They are uh, at liberty. As the uh, as the vaudevillians used to say, <laughs> and enjoying <laughs> enjoying their time wandering the the great halls of the castle, looking at each other and going, "Come on." podcast is produced under a Creative Commons license, copyright 2010, Driftglass Blue Gale Podcast.